addition to there being no one else like him, friends, there truly is no other book like the Bible. And friends, let me tell you something. The Word of God is amazing. I had set out most of the week to get us, as we've been working through the book of James, from chapter 1, verse 19, all the way to chapter 27, or all the way to verse 27, but the Lord had other plans. As I was praying and preparing this week, there is simply too much packed into the first paragraph, verses 19 to 21, for us to just skip over and keep on going. So let's pick up, again, working through the book of James in a series called ABC Discipleship, where James is just teaching us the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. Pick up with me, James chapter 1, verse beginning in verse 19. And the word of God says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the word of God. There's a classic children's hymn that goes like this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Then it repeats. Be careful, little ears, little tongues, little hands, little feet. And we can tell this hymn's a little dated, right? Because in the days of technology, I think it would add a verse that says, Be careful, little thumbs, what you post. And be careful, little fingers, where you scroll, right? But the message is the same, right? We need to be very aware of what we listen to, how we speak, and how we respond to things around us. And this is the message of James 1, 19 to 21. James is primarily concerned with answering the question, how should I respond to God's word? How should I respond to God's word? And as we work through this letter, section by section, verse by verse, you might be surprised that James has sort of taken a pivot, hasn't he? In, in the first 18 verses, he's talked about trials, God's purposes and trials, our need for wisdom within it. He's talked about the difference between a trial and a temptation. And now you're probably sitting and going, where is he coming from? What, what does listening and speaking have to do with this, James? We left off last week with verse 18, where James says that the word of truth, the word of God, is what God used to bring us forth. That the Bible is God's, is God's tool for granting us spiritual life. Just as God spoke and the universe came to be, so God's word, when it implants in our hearts, brings new life into our darkness. We need the word of truth. Or if I can throw in a Charles Spurgeon quote everywhere I can, he says this, visit many good books, but live in the Bible, right? It is the source of our spiritual life. And James wants us to consider how we approach the most important book in the world and how we approach the very message of our creator, 
The Word of God brings us forth, gives us life, and it's meant to be an ongoing source of life for the people of God. It's not a book we're ever meant to finish and close, but rather it's the book God uses to finish us. There's a true sense in which we don't need to read the Bible. No, 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 we need, we need a whole lot more. We need the Bible to read us and to transform and bring our minds and hearts into alignment with its divine author. And James really hasn't changed the subject at all. He's concerned with showing us how do we live in the midst of our trials Well, we need to respond rightly to God's word, don't we? We need to have maturity when life is hard. We need to consider how we come to God's word. And here's the central point to take home. The central point from James 1, 19 to 21 is this. We must receive God's word with a proper attitude. We've got to receive God's word with a proper attitude. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We need to stop and make note of something I think we're tempted to skip over. James starts by telling them, I love you. <laughs> he starts by calling them the beloved brothers and sisters. He writes out of love for them. And we have to understand that words of correction should come not because we enjoy hard conversations, but because we love someone. So if you have a fellow believer in your life who's who's willing to have those hard conversations out of love for you, to speak hard things, but to speak the truth and love. Be thankful for them. Come ready to hear them. Come slow to speak and slow to become angry toward what they say. Love is foundation for it all, right? It shouldn't be that we would leverage spiritual correction with the, with the goal of control, not with the goal of doing harm, nor with the goal of simply saying something because it's true. You know you can be saying something right, but say it in the wrong way, right? <laughs> but rather, he says, speak the love, speak with love and concern with the heart of a shepherd. And most of the time, we think about these verses in verse 19, and most of the time, the preacher will primarily talk about our relationships with one another, right? We need to be quick to listen to other people, slow to speak. And sure, we should display these characteristics in our relationships with others. Remember, my I think my mama always said, I think she's the one who came up with this, right? God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? You need to listen twice as much as you speak. But if this is true in our horizontal relationships, isn't it also true in our vertical relationship with God? If that's how we're to love our neighbors, how much more is it the way that we should love our heart, soul, mind, and strength? So let's consider our vertical relationship with God in light of these verses. How do we respond to God's word? He starts by saying, we must be quick to listen. That's where we begin. We must be quick to listen. Would we say that we come to God and his word with, with ears that are quick to listen? And notice he says, not simply hear. We all know there's a difference between hearing and listening. James has, has his mind toward hearing with the intent of understanding and putting the word into action. Parents, teachers, you know the difference between hearing and listening, don't you? 
Students, you all have that one person in the class or in your group project who for some reason cannot get the teacher's instructions the first time, right? And they got to ask all of you all, what, what'd they say? Or that person who you can text them very clear instructions and somehow they somehow find a way to misread it, right? They're not very quick to listen and understand, right? But with God's word, we're meant to be quick to listen, to hear with understanding. In fact, Jesus told a parable all about this. This is what he says in Luke chapter 8. You'll be familiar with this parable, I think. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no, mo no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Notice Jesus is concerned with us hearing this, with truly understanding, not just going in one ear and out the other, but going in the ear and implanting in the brain and heading in the heart. And then he gives an explanation of the parable. He continues, of verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And of the ones along the path that have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the words of the heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. And those have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares of riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart, bearing fruit with patience. Again, Jesus is echoing this idea of hearing the word. And then it comes alongside an honest and a good heart and bears much fruit. If the word is the seed and our hearts are the soil, then our ears are what connects the word to the heart. How we listen matters. And Jesus takes this one step further after he's done, and he says this, Luke 8, verse 16. No one, after, putting a after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, and nothing is secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Look at the warning of Jesus. Take care how you hear. And Jesus and James are echoing the same point, that how we listen to God's word reveals the reality of our hearts. Do we come to God's word ready to receive what he has said or simply seeking confirmation for what we already want to do? Do we come ready to receive from him or come trying to tell him what he should be telling us? 
Jesus' parable tells us that the most important thing in a church is not ultimately good preaching, good curriculum, good small groups, good worship, that the most important thing in a church is good listeners. Being able to listen and discern, being able to listen well to the word of God. And he says, to whom much is given, much is required. When we consider ourselves good listeners to what God has given to us. Because the more we listen, the more we'll be given to receive. But he says, to those who are without ears to hear, even what they have will not take root and will be taken away. We must come to his word quick to listen. That's what James wants us to understand. But he also moves from the ears to the mouth, doesn't he? He says we need to be quick to listen, but then he says we need to be slow to speak. We must be slow to speak. The human tongue has always been a problem. <laughs> right? In the book of Proverbs, it contains numerous warnings about with wisdom regarding the tongue. And James is a sort of New Testament Proverbs, and he has a lot to say about the tongue. And let me say, you can, in our day and age, you can now speak without using your tongue. You got two thumbs that do a whole lot more talking. And the same advice applies. In fact, Look what James says throughout his book. Let's just do a survey of a few things he says. Back, look back at verse 13 of chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Notice, James is concerned that these people were saying something that reflected a false understanding of who God was. Or, or, what, or ultimately a, a false thing about who he was and what he does in the world. God wasn't the one tempting them because, as we saw last week, he's holy and untemptable. They should be slow to speak in a way that would misrepresent the God they claim to serve. And that would stand opposed to God's word because their words ultimately reflected their hearts. They believed that God was doing evil to them and that they deserved better than all the good gifts that God had given to them. When James deals with the issue of partiality in the church, notice he tackles how the believers spoke to one another. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. He says this, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. By their words, they weren't just showing they had a false view of God, but they had a false view of their neighbor. They thought that the one that drove up with the nicest car, wore the nicest suit, had the most money and power, those folks needed to get the best seat in the house, right? Whereas they would say that those who had less, in a worldly sense, should be treated less. And friends, this revealed that they didn't know the Word of God. They didn't know that all rich and poor were made in the image of God, were loved by God, and that in light of eternity, what they have in their bank account wasn't what was going to matter. 
but rather the treasure they had stored up in heaven. They had true faith, but their words revealed a false faith. James 2.14 would put it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Here he's dealing with a false profession. You can go around all day long talking about how much you love God, and yet your hearts be nowhere near the profession you claim to make. And James is saying, be slow to speak. Be careful that your words aren't, aren't misaligned with your hearts and that your words aren't misaligned with his word. Because the folks that James was writing to came to God ready to speak in ways that stood opposed to his word. Again, James 2 will show all sorts of false ways of speaking. In fact, in James chapter 3, which you can look at later today if you'd like, he spends 12 verses just talking about the evil of the tongue. How much speaking before you think gets you in trouble. He even includes a warning to anyone who would desire to be a teacher in the body of Christ that they will receive a stricter judgment because if you talk for a living, sin may abound, right? And then in chapter 4, he says, he speaks to these believers who were speaking with certainty about the future rather than humble trust in God. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. He's going to say, by, by their way of speaking with confidence that they were going to do X, Y, Z, he says they were ultimately boasting in their own abilities. Their words reflected that they believed deep down in their hearts that their life was ultimately in their own hands. And James says they're arrogant and boasting and evil. They were quick to speak rather than slow to speak. Let me give you one of the most important proverbs in the Bible to live by. This should be the social media proverb of the day. Look at this. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Hang on to that. Right. Hang on, memorize that. I want to put that on, like, my wall at the house, right? Or put that right there on the church wall, right? To keep silent. Nobody knows whether you're wise, but they'll know when you open your mouth if you're a fool very, very quickly. Wisdom is knowing, and I'm learning this myself, that I don't have to respond to everything everybody says. I don't have to have an opinion on every little issue going on in the world, Sometimes silence is the most intelligent and wise response you can give. But that being slow to speak is better than being quick to be foolish. And Jesus actually tells a parable about two trees, one with good fruit, one with bad fruit. And he says that our words are a way of revealing which tree you are. Matthew chapter 12 puts it this way. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. Here's honest Jesus here. You brood of vipers. That's the nice Jesus everybody talks about, right? 
Ye brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let me tell you, again, as somebody who talks for a living, those are some terrifying verses. By our fruits will be known, and by our words we're going to be recognized. He says, be careful, be slow to speak, that you don't misrepresent who God is. Be slow to speak, that you don't represent who your neighbor is. Many of us would likely shudder at the reality of thinking that everything we said this week was going to be played on the speaker for the whole church to hear. Let me tell you something, friends. God's already heard it all. And we need to be far more concerned about what he says. And it says he's going to bring every word into judgment. And it's in moments like this where we can recognize the incredible beauty of the gospel. For it's when sin is at its darkest that the gospel is the brightest. Because if you're someone like me, with many sins of the tongue, this sounds like incredibly frightening news. I'm in trouble, yet receive the good news that Jesus is able to save. He never once sinned with his tongue. He lived a fully sinless life, and he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he not only received the scoffs, and the name-calling and the maligning of others, he bore the sins of the scoffers on himself. He bore the very sins of the world, and he rose again, and any who call on him in repentance and faith would be saved. He would declare from his mouth that they are his child, they are justified and forgiven and adopted into his family. And if you feel the weight of sin around your tongue, the greatest thing to do is from your tongue, confess, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm trusting in your death and resurrection on my behalf. Send your spirit to help me. And then pursue after his word. Because more than their words, these folks were actually responding to God in another way. He said that we must be third, slow to anger. Slow to anger. And this implies the people that James was writing to were not being slow to anger, right? And he's not talking about a righteous sort of anger, the sort of G anger Jesus had when he flipped the tables in the temple. No, he's talking about wrath, an anger of revenge, of malice, Righteous anger, like Jesus had, leads you to help people. Sinful anger, like James is warning against here, leads you to hurt people with words or with actions. And we aren't exactly told what they were angry about. But I could give you some theories, right? Maybe they were angry because they didn't want the Lord to be in charge of their life. Maybe they were angry at God for the trials they endured. They were accusing him of tempting them to evil. Or maybe they were charging, maybe they were angry at God because someone had called out their sin or because God didn't conform to their particular agenda. 
Maybe they responded with God's word with sinful anger toward others, using the Bible as sort of a bludgeon. You ever had somebody beat you with a Bible? Not literally speaking. Some of you might have had that too, but figuratively speaking, right? Just beat you without any hope of grace. Hear this. God's word is never meant to increase our anger, but rather to produce peace. And I want to warn you, we have so much media, even media that calls itself Christian media, that exists to thrive off of your anger. And if it exists to make you more angry and to thrive off your anger, it is not of the Spirit of God. Friends, that was more the way of the Pharisees than the way of Jesus. Because angry words will never bring about the peace of God. In fact, James even tacks this on in verse 20. I love this. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says, in other words, if you didn't know this, you can't get the life God desires if you're angry all the time. Anger is a deceptive sin that destroys you before it ever destroys another person. We must come to God's word slow to anger. In fact, James has this to say in James chapter 3. I love this. This is a good grid for thinking about some of these things. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is telling us not only to respond to God's word, but he's talking about here the results from when when God's word is preached. He says, check the fruits. Who are you listening to? If it's truly God's word, ask yourself, what is it producing in me? Friends, let me tell you, if I sit all day and watch cable news, I know what it produces in me. And it's not what James 3 would want produced in me, does it? Because James 3 tells us that the word of God, when it's preached in God's way, shouldn't produce things opposed to God in his way. It shouldn't produce bitter jealousy and envy and every vile practice. Rather, wisdom that's from above is pure. It produces peace and gentleness, both individually and within a community of faith. Some of us would stop getting in fights with other people if we turned the TV off or got rid of the app on the phone. It'd be better to be ignorant than constantly in a fight with everybody. We must come to God's word quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But James isn't done yet. He's got one more thing that sort of undergirds it all. James writes this, fourth and finally, we must receive the word in repentance and faith. We must receive the word in repentance and faith. In fact, this really undergirds it all. Look at verse 21. 
James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Do you notice the two commands? Put away and receive. In other words, turn from sin and trust in the God of truth to repent and believe. This is the message of the apostles. We often use the language of asking Jesus into our heart, which I've looked from cover to cover in the Bible and have never found that. It's not in the Greek. It's not necessarily a wrong thing to say, but it's not as clear as what the apostles say with something like this. Acts chapter 20, verse 21, they testified to both the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This was their message to everybody. Jew, Greek, you either were a Jew or you were a Gentile. That was it. These were the options. Turn from sin and turn to Christ. Or you can look at Mark chapter 1 verse 15 where Jesus says repent and believe the gospel. That's the proper response. And it's the proper response to any and all truth. When the truth of God comes to us, we must respond by rejecting falsehood, what stands against it or opposed to it, and embracing the true, the good, and the beautiful. James says, put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Friends, while none of us are ever going to be perfect, he says, choose a new direction. Turn to follow, from following the ways of the world to following Jesus. Put off sin and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice he ends verse 21 where he ended verse 18 talking about the word of God, the word of truth, the word which brought newness of life and saved us by grace is also able to save our souls from the power of sin in the present and to keep us for the great and final day of salvation at the end. And he uses this language of receiving it and implanting it, letting it take roots, letting it become our foundation and our hope. Because let me tell you this, repentance from sin and faith in Jesus isn't simply how we get saved. It is how we get saved, but friends, it's also how we continue to make progress in the Christian life. Did you know you were never meant to get over the basics? Just over and over and over again, deeper into the reality that Jesus has died and risen again and that we're turning from sin and trusting in him as for our full and final salvation. It's how we make progress. It's how we finish the race. He says, put away falsehood and sin and in the temptation that challenges us at this point in your life, and turn by faith to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Turn to Jesus. It's something we're to do every day, multiple times a day, throughout our life on the path of faith. James would echo the song that I referenced at the start of the sermon. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongues, what you say and how you say it. Be careful, little hearts, what you harbor, because the anger of God does not produce the righteousness of God. And be encouraged, little ones, that repentance from sin and faith in Christ is available to any and all who will call upon the name of the Lord. Today, the word of God has come to you. 
Not because I've got some special access to him, but because I've got his book open. How will we receive it? We all have ways that I'm sure God is challenging us today, but we need to begin where James ends by confessing and turning from our sin and looking anew to Jesus. Maybe today you need to take that first step of faith. Maybe you've had the words of a religious tradition implanted in your heart. Maybe you've had the habit of church implanted in your heart, but has the word of God been implanted in your heart because that's what's able to save your souls. That Jesus Christ has come and he's died in your place and he's risen again from the dead so that any and all can come to him and experience rest and restoration through faith in him. Maybe some of us today just need to get back to the basics. Turn off the noise and pursue again our Savior, turning from our ways and trusting in his. Today, may we receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have spoken to us. And you've given us a word that, honestly, I don't think we cherish nearly as much as we should. You've given us a hope. You've given us a way to know you. Lord, you've given us your goodness and kindness. So, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to take your word and implant it in our hearts, that we would be more quick to listen to you, more slow to speak against you or oppose to you, slow to anger in our hearts against what you tell us. Lord, that we would receive the word, putting away all filthiness, and having the word of God implanted through repentance and faith. Lord, I ask that you would be honored and glorified in this response, and I ask that you would receive all the glory through your name. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.